Hello, welcome to the Wise Women in Waste podcast series with me, Claudia Amos, Technical Director for Circularity, Resource Efficiency and Waste, and Debbie Hitchen, Director of Sustainable Production and Consumption at Anthesis. If you joined us for our previous episodes, you will know that we are co-hosting a series of podcasts that uses informal conversation to explore the trends and opportunities in our sector through the lens of women like us. We are inviting inspiring women from the waste and circularity industry to discuss our passion for the work that we do and provide them industrial insights and knowledge along the way. Today, we are super excited to be joined by Jahanti Rangajan, Chief Product Officer at Sunova Tech. So welcome, Jahanti. It's really nice to have you with us. Could you please start by telling us a bit more about yourself and how you got into your role? Well, starts in high school, actually. My father was stationed in Malaysia. He was a diplomat. And with a family friend, one night we did a tour of a coal-fired power plant. It was just on the edge of Singapore. This man had designed and built it from just a green field into a massive power plant. We climbed the spiral staircase that goes around the central chamber. And he opened these little windows and pointed out that the, the flame was orange and then pink and then blue. And I just remember... That night, I said to my father, I want to be him. I want to build that plant. And so I came home and I became an electrical engineer, which is about generating electricity, the control systems, transmission lines, grids, backup, you know, not so sexy stuff. But that's how it started. My career actually took me to a different kind of infrastructure. My foundation was in Motorola, where I learned, you know, enormous best practices. It's a brilliant global infrastructure company that where we design the system of towers that keep a phone call alive as you drive, as you walk in rain or shine. And I learned what it is, means to build a system that works silently, 24 by 7, that you count on, which is my definition of infrastructure. You know, when we made a mistake, millions of people in Tokyo could not make a phone call and teaches you a lot. You know, later I worked on just patenting the idea of being able to know where your location, because if you want to provide 911 help phone call, we need to know where you are. And that started us in the journey of if I could know where you were at, then I could find the nearest gas station or Starbucks. In fact, I wrote the patent for that concept of searching near something. Went from that to getting my startup legs, if you will, as a CEO in a, in a, tiny fledgling startup where we bring a disruptive technology to commercial success on a shoestring. And most of the time you're at the brink of extinction or the threat of extinction. So in my startup, we built the very first real internet access and streaming video on ordinary cell phones using the cloud infrastructure behind the scenes. In fact, Nokia acquired the company eventually uh, and shipped it on 300 million phones. So billions of people around the world, actually, this technology that was our invention was the first access to the, to the internet. So I've really been hooked on this idea of being able to bring something to market that has impact, changes the world and its infrastructure. So the other very interesting thing to me is that whether you're in the big company or you're in a small company, when you do that kind of innovation, to bring it to market, something game-changing. The challenges are actually a lot different. However, the journey is the same. You face opposition, and in the end, you're dancing with elephants, if you will. 
in the most magical way. I think this is fascinating. I am so inspired. When Claudia and I set out to do this um, series, we said we were looking for women who were inspirational, who'd been on an inspirational career journey and who were looking to drive impact. And I love the fact that already in your introduction, you've sort of talked about how you've used innovation to create that impact and most importantly, how it changes lives. I want you to keep going with the story because I want to see how you've come full circle. You described that really lovely image, actually. I could almost imagine myself walking up that spiral staircase with you as a child at that power plant I want to know how did you get from technology into that next stage of your life so I met the founder of Sinova at a conference and I learned that they were building a power plant in Thailand except instead of coal they were going to use waste the energy from waste and plastics so for instantly it was a match for me a flashback to that power plant in Malaysia Giffen actually founded the company in California, but he wanted to solve ocean plastics. So he actually went and opened an office in Bangkok and was working out of there. This is how I met the company and I got excited. Now, waste is a rather personal uh, for someone who, can't, who grew up in India. You know, you spend most of your time trying not to see it or step on it or smell it. Electricity is also very primal important. So I saw it as an enormous opportunity immediately to make impact again. My role in Sonova initially was to develop investor presentations, to raise capital, to grow rapidly because the market was upon us. But soon after I joined, just a month, the National Geographic Planet of Plastic issue came out, if you all remember that. Yes. It catalyzed the world, catalyzed this movement. China had rocked the world a year prior with not accepting plastics, but the plastics industry was in the spotlight. And I started asking the question of Bram, our CTO, it's brilliant, actually, you know, if we have a bag of waste plastics, what should we be doing it? I mean, what's the right thing to do with it? Oh, and in this conversation and seeing the demand from petrochemical industry, suddenly this interest in solving plastics, it all just came together. We realized that our product if we can actually take that waste plastic and convert it into the chemicals that make new plastic. So instead of taking that gas and then making electricity with it, if we just took that instead and gave it back to the plastic industry, that started us on a path. And in fact, we just announced a partnership with Technip, who's a leader in building the plastic production infrastructure using fossil fuel. So again, to connect it all back, if there's a technology that's most interesting, the market or the technology itself will demand where it belongs. And so I see this very exciting opportunity to change the world. I think that is such an inspiring start to what I hope is going to be a really exciting conversation. There's so much to unpack in that, and we're definitely going to get in a minute into the hot topic of plastic. But before we do, I'm interested to know um, how your career journey and how your experience as a woman and a female engineer has sort of felt to you, because we've explored the, the ways in which people join our sector and the way in which their formal qualifications and training and so on have set them up, but also the challenges and the opportunities that have been presented to them along the way. So I'd be really interested just to hear your thoughts from both that technology perspective and from that engineering perspective. Well, being a woman minority engineer in the Midwest of Illinois was not easy. And, you know, this outward personality I have was not me. But if you didn't, you didn't survive. 
And so the interesting thing about the culture of a Motorola kind of engineering company, though, was if you were good, you had a chance, but you had to be very good. But the other, the other side of it is that the journey would not have made it possible if there weren't men along the way that did help. So as with most women, I think I have pretty much that journey that if you are in engineering, especially hardcore engineering and, and so on. Now, there is definitely, you know, many times when as a woman, you, ha- you do face, you have to prove yourself again and again, and you do have to recognize that there's a lot of expectation. One, a woman uh, leader once said to me, we're just not expected to be good. Which just was really interesting. My dad had only two daughters and we never knew that we were not a boy. We just didn't know that. So my first experience actually of that was at the workplace. However, I'm here and whenever it gets really bad, we think of Mary Curie, right? She didn't have an opportunity. So you can't expect the world to really go that much faster than it can go. I'm grateful for where I'm at. And so are we. We are grateful that you found your startup legs, uh, which is probably a wonderful opportunity to kind of launch a little bit more into what you do currently in your day-to-day role and a little bit more about how the company operates. And I think we'd love to get into some of the, the detail about how that's going to help with the waste plastic, the ocean plastic leakage, but also potentially that sort of circular supply chain that Claudio and I have been talking about with other guests. The issue of how do you get some of that plastic back into our supply chain for new raw materials. So we'd love to know a little bit more about the company and and what you do day to day. Great. Well, it's very simple. Synova makes infrastructure technology for waste and plastics to become circular. I'm going to explain what that means in a moment, but that is the essence of it. Plastics are made today from fossil fuels. So from naphtha, which is from crude oil or ethane and some other sources, 80% is from naphtha and ethane. They're just heated and broken down around 800 degrees centigrade into molecules, smaller molecules that are, uh, for example, ethylene, which is made into polyethylene, which is the plastic bag, or propylene, uh, benzene, which is used in styrofoam cups. These are the building blocks to make what we think of as plastics, you know, rayon or uh, water bottles or toys, car parts. In Sinova, instead of oil, we're taking that product that was made from oil, plastics, heating that up and pretty much getting to the same exact molecules, ethylene, propylene, benzene, etc., that were the building blocks of plastic, with the same efficiency of about 70% as that traditional infrastructure was able to get. So most people, when they heard it, find it difficult to believe. But the innovation, the core innovation we discovered is that if you can do, if you do this at that temperature, you get the same molecules. And now, indeed, we don't just throw a bunch of plastic cups into this reactor. It's actually called refuse-derived fuel, which is a fancy name for shredded garbage. Okay, it just looks like insulation and or some taffy, but, and the process to summarize, for example, a coffee cup that's stained, a styrofoam coffee cup, let's say, it gets converted back into benzene, C6H6, which is that circular molecule, if we remember chemistry, and to make that same cup again. A plastic bag with breadcrumbs in it, that's going to get converted right back into ethylene, granulates of ethylene, which can be used to make another plastic bag or a milk carton. 
but let's say. So this is the core technology. It's fully circular, as in you take incoming plastics, you make diverging plastics. You don't downcycle it into a button or a, a you know a fencing. It's back into a virgin format that you can use for anything. Don't need the fossil fuel. And in fact, you could envision a world in the future where you only need that fossil fuel for the extra demand, the growth, if you will. The third thing that's really groundbreaking is this technology actually reduces CO2 by one half to one ton per ton of waste, even if you compare it to the landfill or the ocean. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment and do a little bit of a pretend, really, you know, because that's not been possible. There are solutions that can convert these plastics and break them down, but not delivering a positive CO2, as in a negative a reduction CO2, even compared to leaving it to the landfill or the ocean. And out of your plant, do the actual polymers come out of your plant, or is it more the precursor, so the ethylene and so on you described? Well, it's just like a chemical plant, Claudia. Basically, it's the same molecules that come out of it, and the molecules get sent to a downstream cleaning unit. Just they can actually be added to theirs, and then the granulates and the bigger molecules, the polyethylene, and those, are get formed in a downstream process. Super interesting, and I think um, um, what, what I'm also really interested in because I think these plants have a lot of different purposes, if you want. Because firstly, is certainly the the uh, the the waste aspect and then you got the co2 reduction aspect and then you got the production of secondary materials and recyclates for use in a circular supply chain what's your view on where these plants should be built because you could make an argument these plants should be built in south america and southeast asia where a lot of the polymer production and a lot of the the, the plastics processing takes place nowadays um, but probably collection systems are not that good? Or should it be built in Europe, where we have very strong regulatory drivers and probably the best investment climate around these technologies? Or in the US, where you have vast amounts of waste uh, available, but again, collections are slowly being built up, but you definitely have the, the economies of scale to, to really scale up these technologies. I think that's always going in my head, is wh where is the best? We need a bit of everywhere, but where is the best? location to build these plants? Okay, that's just a perfect question. I must say a bit more about this uh, technology that will help to define where should it be. And there's a lot of assumptions which one makes to determine how should you solve plastics, where should it be? It starts with what does the waste look like? And I just want to go back to a minute to the basics. So real world plastics are dirty. They have bits of food from a takeaway. They have, um, they like look like a some potato chips or seaweed, rainwater, paper labels. This technology to recycle plastics accepts all that, so it doesn't need the plastic to be clean or just plastic. There's another extreme reality about real world solving this circularity problem: is plastics are multi-material. So the most common, you know, obvious ones are like, for example. Um, the sandwich comes in a cardboard bit with a bit of foil on it and then a paper label on it and some tomato and cheese. So that's a multi-material visually example. Another one's the delivery packages these days. 
They might have a layer of paper on the outside that you can write on and then plastic integrated. But an even more interesting example is a foam pillow or 50% polyester shirt. The numbers are staggering on what percentage of clothing is 50% polyester or acrylic or rayon, so made of plastic. And as women, we can talk about, for example, I'm, I was really surprised preparing for this podcast. I was looking at the composition of a tampon or a sanitary napkin, diapers. These have a huge percentage of rayon fabric. So real world plastics are, plastics are integrated in along with other materials like cotton. And one of the very important things about Sonova technology is that that organic part in it, the cotton or the paper, well, we convert that as well into chemicals to make plastic. It's amazing. The same molecules, and now it's a bio, if you will, a bioplastic, it all in one solution. Why I brought this up to, as a, to answer your question, or where should it be? And now you're really looking at it differently. You're not thinking, I must find these plastics and separate them and then take them somewhere. Because actually, due to the lack of technology, the assumption has always been that recycling requires heavy sorting and heavy cleaning before you can solve the problem. And actually, in this case, you do not have to do that. So that's one. The other perception I just want to address is also the perception of most of the industry. A chairman of one of the pet camps said to me, well, how much money is it going to cost us? How much do we have to set aside? Because the assumption is it's going to come at a huge cost the planet. We have to make sacrifices. But actually, 80% of the cost of the production of plastic from oil, from fossil fuel, is actually the NAFTA itself, as an example. So if you replace that fossil fuel with waste, that's technically free, really, it drops the cost of production of one ton of plastic by 80%. I mean, that 80% varies because depending on the price of crude, so actually, where we've got validation from the packing industry that this actually, shockingly, is cheaper for them to produce plastic from waste than from fossil fuel. As you can see, there's a reason now why I'm building, explaining this as to where shall we put this plant. Uh, Bram, our CTO, he actually coined the term, waste is the new oil. So if you say that you now have oil, are you prepared to give your oil to China or somewhere else? I mean, I could start to see a world where, first of all, there's all this value in that waste. It's actual dollars and money, which I think is going to affect where do we want to put it? Where do we want to ship it? A thousand miles anymore. The second thing that I find that's most exciting, and I think we talked about it before, is the view has been that we're dumping the waste, let's say, on a third world country. It's not viewed as an outsourcing a call center, for example, right? We're not outsourcing the tailoring to, like, we're dumping this waste. But if you decide that, wow, this waste can be processed very cleanly and generate value, huge value, create an economy, well, it might be quite welcome. Welcome in the good way, as you said. Well, where the petrochemical plants are. So, and the third thing that's really critical is who can consume that output? Those polymers that we produce, 
can they be consumed and can we leverage the existing production infrastructure? That would make a lot of sense. Now, that being said, we're asking those giants that were involved with oil and pet camp to suddenly be involved in the world of waste. So there's some work that has to be done. Would it make more sense instead to have a standalone piece of that pet camp next to where the waste collection is? So these, these are the questions that I think in the end, my answer to you, based on what I just said, is I believe the best answer is going to come out in understanding who wants this, where should it be technology-wise, rather than what we were worried about in the past of decisions on race were made on three, I feel, three major dimensions, out of sight, out of mind, um, where can we make it the cheapest? But what should you do with the waste? What's the right technology and the output that one must get out of that bag of plastics. And clearly for us all on this podcast, we'd like it to be circular. And the nice thing is we're living in an age where there's a lot of the world who's agreeing with us. So I, my, my, I'm sorry if it's long-winded, but the answer should really be we need to rethink from a circularity perspective, from a planet perspective and the people perspective. Um, Let's re rethink. You know, uh, for example, a lot of waste is m measured in terms of weight, but plastics don't weigh very much. So, so you almost have to re rethink and say, well, the transportation burden. Well, is the transportation burden that heavy? Because we're not carrying, you know, cauliflower or cardboard. We're carrying this lightweight material. So, I'm seeing an exciting you know, future. Yeah. No, I always say it's much easier to collect one one ton of food waste than one ton of plastic because you need to have much more plastic to to get to your ton. And I think that really makes a difference in terms of the impact of of transport as well as the different collection systems um, to to collect individual plastic streams where it's required to do all the sorting and separation. And one of the issues we discussed at a, at an earlier podcast is the fit between kind of like plastics recycling and the different technologies and, and circularity. Because when we have done LCAs and have done assessments, uh, and especially comparison against virgin production, it's very technology dependent. It also depends what where it is in terms of the the grid that's behind it, because a lot of these recycling technologies utilize uh, electricity. And really finding finding a fit between yes circularity and carbon reduction, and I think you made a very good point that you feel your technology has a positive carbon impact. And basically, if you want to square the circle of circularities to 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 address that, yeah, yeah, and this this is uh, why going back to your Debbie your your startup legs point, what gets me excited is when people say this this is not possible. And we get into a conversation where we're going to have to prove because that every time that happens, I feel, ah, I'm in the right place. We are going to have impact. New game-changing technology has is met with. That's not possible. Yeah, it's not. And so, but once you once you have you recognize that, um, you know, you can process, for example, that paper and make the plastic out of the paper, and that paper was in the waste and. We spend today, the current thinking is we have to clean all that out of the plastics. But if I said, actually, if you think about um, uh, groceries, you know, like those 
foil that come with a label. The label's actually 30% of the weight. That label was saying, oh, it's a problem. But actually in the solution, that label's helpful. It makes also chemicals and that can be used and it closes the circle because our solution 70% efficient about. So that means if you give us one kg of plastic, we can make 70% of it into new plastics. 30% is lost in the process. But if you give me a cotton dress and a bit of furniture, I could take that circle, make it whole and get back one whole kg of plastic by putting in one kg of waste where some of it was wood. This is requires us to you know, really think, ah, this is possible. And then I'm going to rethink how shall I make it happen? Yeah. I think this is what's really exciting because we've heard things like, you know, we want to put recycled content into food grade packaging, for example, expressed by a number of leading organizations and collaborations like the Plastic Pacts, for example. But the challenge with that is that at the moment, the food contact regulations make that very difficult in in lots of applications. It's not going to meet the health and safety hygiene requirements. And so what I hear you saying is actually there's another possibility here that because of the way in which the material is processed and because you're taking it right back down to that source of origin effectively and rebuilding um, from that molecule upwards, effectively that is a really viable way of creating that circular economy for food grade to food grade packaging items. And I find that really exciting. I guess the question I have and and other listeners may have is, but is there a risk if all this other stuff is going in there? So you've talked about the food packaging that you can accept having residue in it. And, you know, you could take other items, some of which like sanitary products don't sound like they should really fit in something that goes on to become a food grade packaging item. So what sort of reassurances are there about the quality of the product and, and how that can be used in, in the recycled content and still give us a circular economy and a, a health and hygiene confidence? That's a great question. In fact, one I didn't think of as well. But, you know, when you come at it from the chemistry of it, we'll take it back to molecules. And when you take it back into molecules of gas, you have there's um, established commercial practice for cleaning gases. And these technologies are there when you use fossil fuel. So we're not talking about new technologies. Uh, there are clearly, obviously, synthetic things added as well. A dyes are made of metal. So there will be the, a cleaning, an extra cleaning component when you use a waste source. Believe it or not, banana peels produce sulfur. So you have to have additional cleaning, uh, but these are like commercially available technologies. So this is the last 18 months, the journey of the company has been to get feedback from large industry players, show them the specifications and answer all these questions of like, here's all the toxins that come in, are in our gas. And is what's the process to remove them all to their to the degree that is required down so where you can have the same virgin polymer to make that plastic again. And that's what we've been working on and we will continue to work on. And, and I think that is, that is a huge area of work in terms of the product standard and mass balancing and so on. I think that's, uh, that's where everybody's currently really active in the different chemical industries and everything. I think... I got two questions left where I would really love your views. And one of those is um, what needs to be in place to make these technologies successful? And the other one is 
What has changed on the other side or in the sector that makes it now investable? What are your thoughts on that? Let's do the second one first. What's changed in the sector is it's, that's exciting. Money is flowing into the sixth sector. And one of the game changers is the corporate capital flowing in to reduce its own footprint. The Clearly, the social media and the voice of the consumer, the voice of the shareholder is well re- recorded now and reported. But in addition, infrastructure returns, they're generally attractive if they're proven and they're very predictable. Thought leaders, for example, the airline industry, they're going direct. They're saying, I'll solve my waste. Uh, they're even asking consumers to vote with their pockets. So the flip side of it is, we do need to be aware of the tide raising all boats, if you will. This is a complex infrastructure decision that affects our planet. And it's complex. It's way too easy to invest in the wrong solutions. And so this is where I see a really important role for players like the Center for Circular Economy with Closed Loop Partners and for our conversations, Claudio, at Anthesis, where you're questioning, you're analyzing, and you're providing the numbers, the framework, if we will, for the decision-making that needs to happen. Back to your other, the first question as to what needs to change. Well, you know, this is a huge sector. I mean, in Germany today, it's a 77 billion euro market. And the World Bank reports that this sector is going to grow at 70% in 2018. But a statistic uh, reported just in the last month from Thailand is that before pandemic to after, it went from 1,500 tons of plastic waste per day to 6,300 tons of plastic per day, primarily due to food delivery and the delivery services. So what needs to change is some preparation to act quickly and to also question some of the things that we've held on to as beliefs for a long time. So um, looking at the technologies from the lens of the way that the newer players are looking at it and saying, with this technology, what can we do? I think we have talked to some incredibly inspiring women on the journey that Claudia and I have been on while we've been interviewing people. What really inspires me here is that hope for the future. It's the optimism that actually there is something that's very possible, very tangible, and it's in our near future control. And the way that you articulate it, I think, is very accessible. And I hope that our listeners will have found that while there was some very chunky uh, technical information in there, some quite detailed chemistry, the principles that you've expressed actually are very simple and very straightforward. And they do provide optimism for what we're working towards in in this next decade, you know, sustainability by 2030. So thank you again for your time. It's been absolutely wonderful and fascinating to go on that journey with you from your first childhood experience to your your startup legs. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we, we would love to have a further conversation with you, maybe in a future session. Great. Thank you for asking the good questions. Thanks so much and everybody for listening. We love to hear your thoughts, feedback and ideas for future topics. So please get in touch via email or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Goodbye.